Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome back. You know where you are. You know what time it is. This is Tyler Chef. I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And this week, I'm going to talk to you about a big old fat lie. That big old fat lie is about off-market properties. We're going to kick off right there. I want to jump right into this because I don't want you to think this is a rant. I want you to take this as educational. I want you to listen to what I have to say. And in this episode, I'm dropping nuggets, dropping bombs on how you can use this myth of off-market properties to your advantage. So in this episode, I will first want to talk about the fact that, well, you know, a lot of us that are out there buying new deals and, and taking on new acquisitions and whatnot, society, and by society, I mean the real estate space and the perception from the real estate industry, we've been lied to. You know, we, we've been lied to to think that something that's off market or is automatically a great deal. So I want to I hope that at the end of this podcast that you change your mindset a little bit so you don't get suckered into this gimmick over and over again. Now, that said, full disclosure, I'm in marketing, right? That's what I do. Real estate investing is a means. But at the end of the day, as a real estate investor, I am a marketer. Now, that said, I'm not talking about bait and switch and all that slimy stuff, but our job as a real estate investor, if you're wholesaling or you're flipping properties or you're a realtor or whatever, your job is to get butts in the door to look at the property so that they can decide if it's a good deal for them. They can maybe start the negotiation, make an offer, whatever. So if you are in the buyer's chair right now, and these are the folks that I'm talking to, those of you that are out there and you're getting discouraged because, well, you can't find any deals or there's nothing out there and you're not sure where to turn next. That's what I want you to listen to this episode. I want you to pay attention here. Now, We've been suckered as a society, and I've fallen for it too, into believing that a property that's for sale can be off market. And because it's off market, well, it obviously must be a good deal, right? Well, wrong. Now, I've seen this over the years. It wasn't so much many years ago when I first got started investing. It was a different way of doing things. It's just there was a lot more, um, I guess, a, a lot more transparency than there seems to be these days in the real estate space. And I don't want to go down the negative path because this episode is not meant to be negative by any means. It's meant to give you some tools that you can use to negotiate better deals for yourself. And part of that is, is that understanding and recognizing that you're not going to get suckered into this perception. So if you're out there as a real estate buyer, there's one thing that you hate to say as a buyer is no. I don't care how tough of a negotiator you think you are. None of us like saying no. Saying no is uncomfortable. So that when we have something better to say than no, we're better armed to negotiate. And I see this a lot, especially with wholesalers. Wholesalers are like, I got an off-market apartment complex. It's 600 units. Drop your email in this Facebook post to get more information. Next thing you know, you know, an hour later or the next day, you start getting all these emails from people that are wanting to sell you a property in, in great or uh, uh, inner city Detroit or something. I swear it's a great deal. Well, I don't look for single-family houses. How'd you get my email address? Well, you applied to it. You dropped it in that post, you know, on Facebook about some 600 unit complex. Oh, I see. So a little bit of bait and switch going on. I'm really not a big fan of that way of doing business it is what it is. What can you, what can you do? Let's get back on topic. If more, I want you to get your head behind this. I want really want you to focus on what I'm about to say. I'm going to apply some good old fashioned logic to the situation. Yes, it's true. There is space for logic in the real estate industry. It is possible. Bear with me. Here we go. If more than one person in any given market knows that a specific property is for sale, it is on market. Okay. It's not off market. It's on market. If anybody, the seller, the wholesaler, you on Facebook, you on an email list, if anybody knows that a property is for sale, it is on market. I don't care who controls the transaction. Therefore, 
There's no such thing as a wholesaler, a flipper, a realtor, or anybody that has an off-market property. That doesn't even make sense. People tend to think that something is on market purely if it's in the MLS. Well, I beg to differ. It's on market if it's for sale. If people know, if more than one person knows that it's for sale, it's on market. That's the whole idea. The market is where the transaction happens. The market is not the MLS. The MLS is nothing more than a service that basically dictates how real estate brokers get paid. Notice I said brokers because it doesn't talk about how real estate agents get paid. It talks about how brokers get paid. Real estate agents know what I'm talking about. That said, the only other reason for the multiple listing service besides to agree on compensation between brokerages is to a way to syndicate or to send out a property to multiple different channels. So it's a marketing channel is really what it is. So let's not make it into something that it's not. It doesn't indicate that a property is on market or off market. If it's for sale, boys and girls, it's on market, period. An off market property is not in any way, shape or form for sale. Okay. Here's an example. A listing broker that's got a pocket listing has something for sale. Now, granted, a pocket listing is not listed on the MLS. This is not an off-market property because it's for sale. It's an on-market property. It just doesn't happen to be advertised in the MLS. And there's lots of reasons for that. We'll go into that in a minute. It cannot be off-market and for sale at the same time, okay? Let's get clear on that. It cannot be off-market and for sale at the same time. Here's why I bring this up. I have, I've had people call me over the last several months saying, well, I bought this off market deal. And then I did my due diligence and found out that it didn't cash flow. And I didn't discover this till after closing. I'm like, wait a minute, why are you doing your due diligence after closing? Well, because it was off market and the broker said, the wholesaler said, whoever said the seller said, doesn't matter, not bagging on wholesalers. Well, it's off market. It's gotta be a great deal. Wrong. As a matter of fact, and I'm going to say this a couple times to get so it sinks in off market properties often sell for more money than what you would consider to be quote unquote on market by the usual definition, the layman's definition. Okay. So what I mean by that is properties listed in the MLS sometimes don't sell for as much as properties that are listed that are for sale off the MLS because of that perception that it's got to be a great deal because it's off market. And then it kicks in that emotion of fear of missing out. Well, if I don't pull my trigger now, I'm going to miss out. Let me give you another example. A wholesaler who has an assignable contract between themselves and a seller who plans to assign their rights in the contract at the closing does not have an off-market property. And the reason why they don't have an off-market property is because they're trying to sell their interest in a contract that will allow for the sale of that property. Therefore, you have a property for sale. I get that they're not selling the property, they're assigning the contract. I get that. But that transaction of assigning that contract makes a sale happen. Therefore, it's not off market. So let's stop lying to each other. Okay. Cause that's really what we're doing, which the lying, the dishonesty leads to people overpaying. Here's another example. A wholesaler who's got a purchase and sale agreement who intends to double close the transaction does not have an off market property because they're marketing that thing for sale. It cannot be off market and for sale at the same time. I won't go into why people double close. It doesn't matter. It's not relevant to the episode. My point is this. No property can be off market and for sale at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. I know that a lot of us believe that, but that's not how it goes, boys and girls. It's absolutely not how that goes. Now, as I promised you, I'm going to give you a little tidbit about pocket listings because this is something you don't hear this term as much anymore. Usually you hear off market more than pocket listings. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, 
I got to focus on off-market listings because I don't have any money and maybe I can strike a, a great deal because I don't have enough money. It's like, well, why don't you have enough money? First of all, you know, why don't you have the money to do the deals? And I'm not berating anybody, but it's a valid question. Why ask yourself that question? Why don't you have the money to do deals? Well, maybe because you're not, you don't, you haven't learned yet how to raise private capital. Well, by the way, I happen to have a course that does that. And that course costs less than 50 bucks. You go to privatemoneycrashcourse.com, you whack the button and you'll learn how to raise private money. Now you don't have, once you learn how to raise private money and you can do this and learn this in the course of a weekend. When you learn how to raise private money, you don't have to be out there scrambling, trying to get one of these quote unquote deals or one of these, well, I can lease purchase option, reverse negative amortize this deal or whatever gimmick that, that whoever comes up with is offering to you. And people get sucked into deals, these quote unquote deals that aren't deals because they don't have the money and the resources to do deals the right way. They can't sit there and go to a seller and have a cash purchase conversation when you have financial money, financial backing. When I go sit down with the seller, boys and girls, I'm speaking as a cash buyer. Now, granted, when I go in there, I always want to get terms. But when I have situations where the seller clearly is not going to accept terms, I can now negotiate a cash purchase. So the fact that I'm bringing private money to the table is none of the seller's concern. It doesn't matter where the money's coming from. All the seller knows is they're getting a check at the closing table or in reality, a wire transfer. But I don't play this off-market game. Well, this is an off-market deal, a wholesaler tells me. I don't give a rat's patootie what's off-market, on-market, doesn't matter. Old boy wants to sell the property. The only way that title's going into Tyler and Jill's name is if the deal makes sense. Don't make me get Jill involved in this negotiation. She'll take you out back and give you a whooping. Think about this before you pull the trigger, guys. Off-market is not a deal. And studies have shown, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out, that the off-market properties are, are creating, they're creating multiple offers, right? It's brilliant from a marketing perspective. You go out there, you get buzz. Everybody wants the inside track, right? Inner circle. Everybody wants to be part of an exclusive club. This is an off-market opportunity. So it's got to be great. We cast off our guard and we go out there and pull the trigger on a deal. That's a shit deal. Don't do that, folks. Okay. Now understand that in the real estate industry, I'm going to read this right off of Wikipedia, okay? Because this is the Wikipedia definition of pocket listing. And I want to leave you guys with this so you understand what a pocket listing is so you won't have any question. And like I said, why a pocket listing happens is between the broker and the seller. You know, it, it is what it is. I used to do them years ago. I did them for many reasons. Part of it was, in fact, I'm greedy. And I, don't want, I don't want to have to pay the buyer's agent if I don't have to. I can market. I've got plenty of buyers. I don't need more buyers. So why would I need to put it in the MLS? and give them half the commission. I'm, I'm worth every penny. Hell, I don't do anything for 6%. That's ridiculous. Anyway, Wikipedia says, in the real estate industry in the United States, a pocket listing or hip listing is a property where a broker holds a signed listing agreement or a contract with a seller. Whether it can be exclusive right to sell or exclusive agency, well, I'm, that doesn't really matter at this point. Whichever, it's never, it's never entered or advertised in the multiple listing system. Now, in my multiple listing system, you actually have to have the seller sign a document that they understand it's not going to be in the MLS. Now, there's a hundred different ways of schools of thoughts. People have belief systems on this. Some people say it's a great thing. Other people say you're, you're keeping it from the market. Therefore, it doesn't garner the highest price. I beg to differ. I, I can see both sides of the transaction. It's been my experience. When I market a property and I push out a lot of the other agents, there are times to where it works to the advantage and we get a significantly higher sales price because the buyers are scrambling to get the deal. They'll ignore their agents in a heartbeat. However, when you've got a property that has issues and needs extra exposure, my opinion, this is only my opinion, 
is that when I can harness the power of the multiple listing service, when I can put that out in front of all these agents, when I can make a post and say, hey, any real estate agents in Tampa Bay want to make an extra 20 grand this week? Here's an easy one. Now I've put it out to all these agents and I've motivated them to get this thing done because at the end of the day, guys, this is a volume game. It's a numbers game. So Wikipedia goes on to say the reasons for a pocket listing may vary from the need for privacy or secrecy to discrimination. And some sellers may have their own reasons for not advertising a listing in conventional ways, including want to, wanting to only sell to certain types of people. This presents a problem, guys. That's discrimination. You can't do that in housing. I don't care if you're wholesaling, you're an investor, whatever. It's not fair. Don't discriminate against people. That's uncool. Not saying that pocket listings mean automatic discrimination, but if the person that you're dealing with says, I don't want you to sell this property to, I don't know, people with pink sweaters, don't do it. It's just not right because everybody deserves a fair shake. That's how it works in this country. Pocket listings can be appealing to buyers who seek exclusive opportunities. You see that right there in the pudding, Wikipedia tells it, people are willing to pay more because they believe it's exclusive. Even though the broker with the pocket listing is pitching it, to everybody in their little client database, as they well should, because that's their job. Other legitimate reasons for a seller to decide to do a pocket listing include the potential for a faster, smoother transaction when the listing agent has buyer clients who may be interested in the property. That's true. I can tell you that right now, because every transaction I've had that's been a pain in the ass, it's not been because the buyer was a pain in the ass. It's because the buyer's agent was a pain in the ass. They were either incompetent or just flat out lazy, or the lender was terrible and they weren't properly qualified in the first place. So I had to qualify them during the contract process, which of course the agents don't like that. And those, the lenders are lousy or whatever. Those are issues that all delay the transaction for the seller. So if we can avoid that cut to the chase, then great. We did that apartment building. We handled our team, handled both sides of the transaction right now. Yeah. The benefit there is we get to keep all the commission, but the big benefit for the seller is the damn deal gets done and the buyer, the deal gets done that everybody's taking care of. It's good old fashioned, sit down at a picnic table, have a conversation. So I want you to go out there and avoid these kind of pitfalls, right? Now, I'm not saying just because something's off market, it's a bad deal. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm what I am saying is just because it's off market or what they people call it as off market, because we just learned if it's for sale, it's not off market. I hope we now believe that just because something is considered or called off market, that doesn't mean anything. We need to dig deeper, look a little farther and verify those numbers, make sure that makes sense. Keeping in mind the statistically off-market, quote-unquote, what's called off-market properties, as I've said a couple times in this episode, generally bring a higher sales price. So if you are in the purchase side of things, if you're on the buyer side of a transaction, you should be telling yourself this over and over again. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope I'm going to wrap it right there. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you found value in this episode. I hope that you get out there and make some offers. And next week's episode, we're going to talk about that process, actually getting out there and making offers no matter what, because I'm seeing a lot of you not doing anything, not making offers on properties have stopped your marketing because of your perception that the market's too hot. There's not enough going on. Whatever excuse you're telling yourself, that's not going to get you any closer to a closing table. Waiting for the bottom of the market is a false presence because you're never going to know when the bottom of the market is. The only time you're ever going to know where the real bottom of the market is, is when it's already in recovery. So keep that in mind. Guys, have a great week and I will catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race. <laughs>